This is Toastcaster, Volume 28, podcast for Toastmasters. Your host, Greg Gazin. This episode, Blog Talk Radio Live, Ask a Toastmaster. Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Blog Talk Radio Live, Toastcaster. It's a live version of podcast for Toastmasters. We're having a few little technical difficulties. It seems that the startup music is going over, going on over and over and over again. This is interesting. It's playing itself over and over again. There we go. Oh, there's a delay. That's what we're doing. Okay, now I understand what's going on. Well, welcome, everyone, and thank you for your patience. I have my two guests on the line. I've got Chuck LeBlanc. He's the... District 42, Lieutenant Governor of Marketing, or Lieutenant Governor of Marketing, depending on where you are. Hello, Chuck. Hello, Greg. Great to be How here. Are you? <laughs> I'm fine. We, we also have Kevin Oxner. He's with the New Entrepreneurs Toastmasters Club in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And Kevin is, is a past area governor, and he's occupied six of the seven club officer positions. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Greg. Great to be here. We've got our window open. We've got all kinds of things happening. I know that we also have a few questions that we had ahead of time. Just to let everyone know, this is a pilot project we're going to try out because Toastcaster is typically pre-recorded, but we often get a lot of calls and queries and questions, and so I thought, why not have a live call-in show? The guest call-in number is area code 646-200-0393, or you can just chime in to talk by saying click to talk. We just had a caller that called in, last two digits. If your phone number is 11, go ahead. You're on the air. Greg, this is Mabel. I'm just curious. I'm just tuning in, and that's uh, tuning in, so that's me. I'm trying to oh, listen. Oh, hi, Mabel. How are you? Hi. Did you have a question? I'm, I'm, no, I don't, but I'm trying to see. I was hoping to listen to other questions and things. So you're calling on the line. Okay, that's fine. You can certainly hang on to the line. We do have five lines. We've got three that are occupied, so we have two free. If you want to just sit there and listen, oh. that's... That's great. No, that's not a problem. Sure, I will do that. Okay. Sorry about that. I didn't realize. <laughs> no, oh, no, that's fine. One of the questions that okay. came in is about club officer training. And the question is, okay. is club officer training, why, why is it done twice? Chuck, did you want to maybe take that one? Well, uh, club officer training uh, is done twice for a couple of reasons. I think the first reason is that uh, when we initially do club officer training, many times people are new in the role. They don't, uh, they're not very familiar with what the roles and responsibilities are. And so we use that first session to train them and present them with the skills required and some of the duties that they're going to encounter. Then mid-year, when they're about halfway through their term, we get together again and, and we often use that time to bring them together with other officers from their areas to kind of do a little bit of sharing of uh, what's worked and what's not worked. And it's more of a time to make, I would call it a mid-course correction, to help them finish their year strong. Well, thank you very much for that. Another interesting thing to note is that in some districts, in our particular district, District 42, we happen to be in Alberta and Saskatchewan, Canada, we, our officers are pretty much elected for the full year, but in some districts around the world, some of those officers are actually elected semi-annually. That's also another reason why we have the club officer training twice a year. Well, that's good. We have any other questions coming in? Anyone on our switchboard that's looking, asking for questions? 
Oh, here's a good one. How can I practice table topics? Kevin, why don't you chime in on that one? One of the things that I do sometimes is grab a newspaper, look at the headlines on the front, and just put it down and do just talk for about two minutes on the subject. The other thing I'll do is that when I'm listening to the radio in the car, when they have those little news flashes, I'll hear one of the news items, put the radio on mute or turn it off, and just talk for a few minutes until the, the, the clock in my, radio, in my car ticks over twice. And I find that just by practicing, coming up with a good thesis, coming up with a few good ideas, it will improve your overall table topics. You obviously can't prepare for the, the one question, but you can make yourself better overall at table topics. You see a lot of people who are really, really good at table topics at the district competitions and that kind of thing. These are the types, types of things they do to get better. So just a little tip I've come across over the years. Well, we just had our fall conference, and we had our table topics contest, and I'm certainly glad that I wasn't a contestant. Chuck, what do you do for table topics to practice? Well, you're going to think this is a little bit strange, but uh, I'm a salesman on the road quite a bit, and I use the time in the vehicle. I might be driving by a farmer's field and look and see a, a unique landmark in the field, and I'll make up a story about how it got there and the, and the significance behind it. And what I discover by doing that is you get a, a litany of stories. You, be, you begin to build your storytelling ability. And another thing that, that I do is, of course, because I am in sales, I, I do table topics every day. I do a lot of in-home presentations. So my customers are asking me questions, and I've got to a, answer them on the spot directly, and you never know what the, the question is going to be. So, you know, table topics is really a life skill. It's not just something that's used in the club. It's something that we use everywhere, every day in our lives. Well, it's great that you guys can do that in the car. I find I, I don't have the patience in the car, but what I actually do is on my own is I record. I have my computer in front of me because I sit in front of the computer most of the time. And what I'll do is I'll talk into my recording program. And the other thing I try to do when I'm practicing table topics is I always try to come up with the three things. So when you have your open, your body, have three points, and then your conclusion. But I won't profess to being an expert at table topics, but there's some pretty good guys out there. But you're right. Table topic is a fantastic skill to have because you never know when someone's going to ask you a question. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, one of our division governors had said he had gone to an interview and he got a job. And when he had called back and asked why he was selected for the job, one of the things that they had said, it was the way that he had answered the questions. And it all had to do with, with table topics, which I thought that was actually pretty impressive. Well, that's a great, that was a great question. And thank you for that question. Let's see, what else have we got here? Now, what we're looking at doing is we're going to look at trying. This is pretty much a mixed bag, any question that you'd like to ask. And I'm thinking that should we continue this in future days, which I'm hoping we will, is maybe we'll have a particular theme and we can focus in on that theme. Another question here, speaking opportunities outside the club. Now, I'm not sure whether the question was are there or how to find any, but let's just leave that wide open. Kevin, what do you think of that? Yeah. Uh, well, when I'm listening to the question there, what – it comes across to me as just, yeah, looking for any way you can to get outside the club. For me personally, the first time I spoke outside the club was, I think I was a Toastmaster for about three months, and I was a test speaker at an area contest. And I remember it so well because the guy who was giving the evaluation said, very good speech, except you did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And he listed off about ten things that were bad, but I'll tell you what, I, I'm glad that I had about five members of my club there to, to sort of rub my shoulders and say, hey, 
it's no big deal. But that experience really helped me, I guess, crystallize my skills as far as uh, making me better. I got, got outside the cushy comfort of my home club. I got to say though, a couple things that I've done in the past that have worked good for getting outside the club too that really work well is uh, you can call your area governor. And oftentimes in an area, there's probably one club or two clubs maybe even who don't always have a full slate of speakers every week. And your area governor will put you in touch with the right people. They'll get you in front of people. Uh, for me, I'm not sure how many times I've spoken outside the clubs as a Toastmaster, but it's been quite a few. And, and every time I do, I get better. I love speaking in my home club because it's safe, but I love speaking outside the club because it gets me out of my comfort zone and makes me that much better of a speaker. So just a couple of, just off the top of my head here, other ways to get outside the club too would be competitions, obviously. After you win your home contest, you can go into the area and, and onwards and upwards. Yeah, any opportunity you have at work or wherever else, but it's very, very good opportunity. If you're staying in your home club, I think you're, you're leaving a little bit too much on the table still. I think there's more that you can be getting out of Toastmasters. Because I guess you're right. If you're in your own club all the time, at some point you get to be a little bit too comfortable. You know, you brought up the test speaker. Now, that's something that I missed when I was a junior Toastmaster. I think that that's absolutely fantastic because, of course, second half of the year for District 42, I'm not sure if other districts do the same, but we have our international speech contest coming up, and there'll be two, we have 256 clubs, so there'll be 256 clubs plus all the areas looking for test speakers. And what a phenomenal opportunity to get multiple evaluations. I guess at our district level, we have nine divisions. So that individual as a test speaker will get an opportunity to get nine different evaluations. Great. Can I just chime in really quick here? Uh, sure. I just wanted to say, too, my, for my first CTM that I got, four of the speeches worked, being me being a test speaker. And I got so much feedback that it was just it was amazing. So just wanted to add that to your, your little blurb there. Oh, great. Thank you. Chuck, any thoughts? Well, not everybody wants to speak outside the club, and some people's goals are a little bit more modest, but if you're involved in your community at all and you are a Toastmaster, there are a number of opportunities that will allow you the chance to speak outside your club. Many volunteer organizations look for people to give short presentations during annual general meetings, and it could be a, presentations of a generic ma nature. Uh, Rotary clubs, uh, Kiwanis clubs, those service clubs often look for speakers for their weekly meetings or monthly meetings or perhaps even a theme meeting. My point of view as Lieutenant Governor of Marketing, there are a number of opportunities for members to promote the Toastmaster program outside their own club. Here in Lethbridge, we're a university city. We've got both a university and a college. And we generally will work with, uh, for example, the management society of the university to help them with their presentation skills. Generally, each fall, the management societies put together presentations and they work with other universities throughout Canada in management competition. So as a Toastmaster, we'll make an initial presentation with them and perhaps even coach them so that their presentation skills are are enhanced and we always use that opportunity to offer them uh, a demonstration meeting or just the opportunity to visit our clubs as guests we've had some members because of it very very true and of course always make sure that you take your manual with you or even better have another Toastmaster come along and do a do an evaluation at the back of the room never give that never, never give us never give a free speech never give a free speech <laughs> very I was well an MC I was with an MC at a wedding and I was going along doing my thing, and the DJ came up to me and she said, hey, you know what, 
I'm a Toastmaster. You should join. And I said, well, I am a Toastmaster. She said, grab your book. I'll evaluate you. So you never know where you are. <laughs> they should come up with a pocket version of the, of the various manuals. They could just keep them in your back pocket. <laughs> no, that's excellent. Always take those opportunities to speak wherever you can. And Darren LaCroix, the, I believe he's a 2001 world champion of public speaking, says stage time, stage time, stage time. Take every single opportunity to speak whenever you can. Okay, let's, let's change a little bit here. It's actually, I've got an interesting question here. This is also related to speeches. Is there such a thing as a pass or a fail on a speech? Who wants to grab that one? Silence. Ooh, that's a tough, tough question, Greg, because if you listen to some people, if you don't meet the objectives of a speech, then they shouldn't get credit for the speech. Now, I don't necessarily agree, that, agree with that because Toastmasters is a self-paced program. And by that, we move through the manuals or through the program at our own pace. And if we're getting an evaluation and we've not lived up to the standards that have been set in the speech and we choose to go beyond and go forward anyway, we're hurting ourselves. I'm not sure that as an evaluator it's my rule to give a pass-fail because this isn't a classroom and it's not a, a test. However, if if the speaker has not met the objectives, and when I give an evaluation, I'm going to let them know that they've not met the objectives. I believe it's up to the speaker then to sit down and say, okay, do I do this over again, or am I okay with what I did and move on forward? Yeah, that's a good point. If you look at the official ruling from Toastmasters International, what it appears is that there really isn't such a thing as a, as a pass-fail, because it's not up to the evaluator to judge, because the evaluator is only giving her his or her personal opinion. I know that one of my early speeches, I winged it at the last minute, and honestly, I don't think I did an adequate job. And afterwards, my mentor or my evaluator came up to me and said, you know, Greg, you, you might want to consider doing this one over again. I guess the truth is if you just, I guess, fake your way through it, all you're really doing is really cheating yourself. You know, I think, Greg, probably depends who it is who's giving the speech. You know, there's people I've met who, if you tell them, hey, you didn't meet the objectives, do it again, you can take it okay. I think the average postmaster might be hurt, especially if it's an evaluator said, do it over. I'm going to crush If I was a new speaker, I'd be like, maybe I won't come back. So I think there's a, there's a delicate balance between who it is, the, the dynamics of the club. What I recommend is that we have diversity's most shut, and hopefully in every club we have mentors, and your mentors should mission great. Just sit down with you and say, hey, you know what? It didn't go over that well. And if they choose to carry on, their, that's their choice to carry on, but maybe the next speech, we need to have them get in touch with their mentor or someone else from the club and go over the speech a couple of times and try and perfect it, but definitely you don't want to let that go on. I've seen members of clubs who get up and give speech number 10, and they just you wonder how they got past speech number 3. So you, you definitely want to encourage people to continue, but like uh, Chuck was saying there too, if you're just doing it, going through the motions, it's not going to help. It's not helping anybody. And that's true. And even if you are, let's say you're an advanced Toastmaster and the person is an advanced Toastmaster, let's say you're evaluating me and maybe I didn't cut the mustard. If you're giving me a very stern evaluation saying, Greg, you failed, do it again, maybe a newer Toastmaster that's in a room may feel uncomfortable and say, geez, you know, I don't want him evaluating me. I'm going to be a little bit afraid of that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Let's look at another question. Thanks, guys, for the question. It's pretty interesting. Oh, here's, here's one also related to table topics or speeches. It's, this one's interesting because there's a couple of different takes on it, and I'd like to hear what you guys think of this. Should table topics or speeches come first in a club meeting? What do you think, Chuck? Well, 
Our club is flexible on that. We initially have an agenda laid out where table topics come first. Now, our club meets at 7 a.m. and it's a breakfast meeting. We initially would set table topics before the prepared speeches because the chances are that our breakfast is going to be served somewhere during the table topic session and it's easier to interrupt a table topic or a short table topic, call a break, and then serve our breakfast rather than if you're in the middle of a prepared speech, there's no way that we're going to break in the middle of a speech and interrupt somebody. On the other hand, if we have a couple of longer presentations and we know that those presentations are on the program, oftentimes we will give the speeches first, and then it, if there's time remaining at the end of the meeting, we may have a shortened version of table topics. So my answer is, is a, I guess it's a more political one. It depends. That's oh, interesting. Fair enough. Kevin? Yes, yeah, as far as me, I, I generally prefer having the prepare speeches before table topics. Now, I think a club has to be flexible, but a couple of reasons why I, I normally prefer having prepares ahead of time. One is that, especially with newer members, if you've prepared and you're, all, you're stressed out about us giving a speech, if you have to stew longer and longer and longer, it makes it harder to get up an hour, an hour later in the meeting, whereas if they're right after introductions, you get up, you do your speech, uh, the stress goes down, and you can enjoy the rest of the meeting. Uh, the other thing I like about them is that if you do the prepared speeches first, you get full time for all the prepared speeches. And if we have to, if there's a time crunch near the end, we can potentially cut back one or two table topics or reduce the time or something along those lines. I think ideally what a club can look at, though, is maybe doing a bit of a flip-flop the odd time. And that way, again, you're, you're always getting used to either sitting longer and then speaking or speaking right away. And it, it adds another different dynamic because I know I've – I've gone and spoke at places where I've had to wait an hour and a half to get up and speak, and it just you're sitting there going, come on, come on, let's do this thing, and you don't really enjoy the meeting, or you, it's, it's different. So if, if you do everything the same all the time, you can get thrown out of your rhythm easier. So I think just mixing it up makes it easier for everyone, makes you a better Toastmaster. It's also nice to give the evaluators a little extra time, you know, during the during the table topics, so that the evaluators who are evaluating the speeches it gives them a little bit more time to put together a quality quality evaluation. What's yeah, interesting is I was I found something on the internet that was fairly dated. It was about 1998, and one of the comments that I saw written there, someone had asked that question online, and someone had indicated that the reason for having the table topics at the beginning was to would be to break the ice, especially since guests and or people who don't necessarily have a speaking role get an opportunity to be introduced to the group. So I think there's there's some validity in all of those things. There's no there's no cookie cutter solution. I think each situation is unique and each each club is unique. And I think that's one of the benefits of the Toastmaster program is that we all have the same basic outline, but we make it fit to the dynamic of our club. I guess as long as you have all the elements going, I think that's probably the major thing. And you, you know, I think Chuck, you hit on the, the nail on the head there too. Is when I was area governor, it was just it was so exciting to go out and see other clubs because everyone does things just a little bit different, and it makes it, it makes it fun, and it makes it fresh to go to to the meetings all over town. So it's a great point that you mix up mix and match. 
my first few times as an area governor, I was asked to be general evaluator, and boy, I'm thinking what a big mistake that was because every club I went to did things totally different from the club that I was used to. And of course, the last thing you want to do is say my club, my club, my club. It's it's a challenging thing. On the other hand, you can find some clubs are doing things very well. For example, we visited a couple clubs and saw that that particular club had a table topics evaluator, and that was something that our home club very rarely used, or I don't even think even had. And so. We saw that. In fact, it was during some summer sessions. We thought, hey, why don't we bring that back to our club? And now it's something that the club actually likes to do. It's it's challenging because you're going to be doing fairly quick split-second evaluations of two-minute table topics, but it certainly adds to the dynamic of the evening. And it also gives it, it gives a nice little challenge for the evaluator. So, When you were talking about being asked to be a general evaluator and your initial reaction is my club, my club, my club, I think that's one of the, grow, the growing areas that we – have to accept as leaders and when you step into the role of area governor for example and you walk into a club and the atmosphere and the conduct of the meeting is a little bit foreign to what you're normally doing and it doesn't mean that your club is any better or their club is is any better but if you take on a role for example of general evaluator then you've got to sharpen your skills and evaluate the meeting based on what you see and you know the objective standards of what might be presented through the Toastmaster program, and we kind of have to take our, our own personal club hats off during the evaluation phase. Now, there may be time at the end of the meeting to talk with the, the members and say, you know, we do things a little bit differently. We, we might do this and might do that, and I might make a suggestion, but I'm not sure that during the meeting role that that would be the place to bring it up. So it's a challenge. It's, it's, a, it's really a, a leadership uh, lesson that you have to learn, uh, and goes in part of what we were talking earlier about stretching yourself outside the club. Yes, I have to admit that was one that I actually learned. I learned by doing. <laughs> that was an interesting one. I find that if I have to refer to other clubs, I would say, I've seen other clubs do this. You might want to consider it. Or I've seen other clubs, and this is what the result was from it. There's always, a, I guess, a tactful, tactful way of saying it. Next question comes in. Now, this, this one's interesting. I'm sure both of you guys could probably answer this one. It's a question from a gentleman who says, I have an old ATM bronze and an old CL. What do I work on next? He's, he was on the old system, how he continues forward. Greg, why don't you start off? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the interesting thing to realize is that whichever designations you have in the past, you keep those, and those don't change. What changes with the when the system changed in 2006? They introduced the new competent leader manual, and some of the designations changed. They went from the competent toastmaster and then advanced toastmaster. They changed that to competent communicator, advanced communicator, bronze, silver, and gold. And they introduced the CL book, which then I guess if you go to toastmasters.org or d42tm.org, our our district website, you can see all the differences. But what basically will happen is that if you have an ATM bronze the next designation that you would work towards would be your advanced communicator silver. So, because an ATM bronze and advanced communicator bronze are, in fact, the same. Now, the old CL is a little bit different because the old CL is pretty much the current advanced leader bronze. And so if you have an old CL, you would be working towards your advanced leader silver. So what I would suggest doing, suggest doing is look, look in the back of the book, in the back of almost any of the Toastmaster manuals, and you'll see what the requirements are for that. So you can skip from, with, with the old CL, you can skip right to the advanced leader silver because 
Advanced Theater Bronze is exactly the same. Now, there is no Advanced Theater Gold, but you know what? I bet you there's one coming down the road. I'm not sure that you'll see Advanced Theater Gold. I think because once you get to the silver, your next step, you're missing your high-performance leadership and, and um, a success communication or success leadership module, and then that jumps you into Distinguished Toastmaster. So I don't know that you'll see the gold. One other point that I would add to that is that even though you have the old CL, I wouldn't miss the opportunity to continue to work on the new competent leader program because most of the uh, projects in that m series are done during the course of the irregular meeting. So it's not like you have to start all over again. You can get that designation by just participating within the, the scope of your meeting. If you're concentrating on advancing your speaking into you know, the advanced communicator silver and forward, you can, during the course of a uh, probably a Toastmaster year, do the 10 projects that you need to get the new competent leader. Actually, you, you brought up a really good point. I, what I have, what I actually have seen done is the senior members who have already completed, even completed their DTMs, are actually bringing, they're purchasing the CL manuals, they're bringing them to the meetings so that they can actually show the other members that they're doing it. The other thing it does is it legitimizes the roles and it gives people an opportunity to do a silent evaluation for you, which I think is which is really great. And I got another question here. Oh, this is interesting. A new club kit is not something that you can purchase outright. I think you have to purchase them with a new member. Like when you sign up a brand new member, you can purchase a kit. I don't think the new member kits are are separate. One of the questions I have is should we lend a CC book to a new member until they get theirs? Kevin, you want to take a hit at this one? Absolutely, yeah. Uh one thing actually we do in our club is we actually do do this. We what can happen is when someone new joins, they want to get going right away, and we want to support them. Oftentimes, depending on how quick the whoever it is that's submitting it for your particular club, uh, the application gets submitted. It could be, you know, between two weeks, and I've seen it up to four or five weeks before someone gets a CC manual. So in the meantime, we lend members CC manuals. That way, they start on their icebreaker, they get going, they get some momentum. Uh, well, actually, these days we'll give them a, a CL manual as well. And when they when they receive their manuals, they just bring them in, they give them back to the club, and we just keep rotating through the new manuals. The the downside, obviously, people are going to point out is that you may not get some manuals back. And that's true. Our club doesn't always get all the manuals back, and we're not sure always who, where we've missed them. But in reality, you know, five bucks for a manual versus getting members, getting speeches done, I, it's a bit of a... For me, it's a small trade-off for, for doing it, and it's a huge, uh, huge reward. So I'm really a big fan of lending out CC and CL manuals to brand-new members, as long as they've paid their dues. As long as they've paid their dues, and, 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 they've, and you voted them in, right? Yes. And, of course, the CC and the CL manuals are manuals that you can just buy, buy outright. Okay, let me just take a look at our list here, and I think we see a few more questions for... Chuck's been quiet for a couple of minutes. We should just give him a question, right? Question. Nail him. <laughs> yeah. This one looks like a good one for an LGM, Lieutenant Governor of Marketing, or Lieutenant Governor of Marketing. It says, why is it important to follow the Toastmasters program in club meetings? And I bet you this one probably comes from someone or someone in a club that they don't necessarily follow the program, and I have actually seen that. Chuck. You know, it, it was interesting because uh, at our district convention last spring, then international president Jana Barnhill was our um, guest, 
And she had a very good analogy when talking about this. She said, suppose that you were going to take a course in photography at a college, and you spent several hundred dollars on the, the course, and you came into the first lecture, and the professor walked in and said, here is the leading textbook in photography. It has every project that we need to make you a better photographer. However, we're not going to use this book. And over here, here are some samples of photography from the world's greatest photographers that can help us in composition and perspective, but we're not going to use that either. But we're going to have a lot of fun. What would you do? You'd probably walk down to the registrar's office and ask for your money back. Why do we need to use the post Toastmasters program? Because we're a Toastmasters club. And if you want to get benefit, if you want to keep your members engaged, if you want to keep your club growing and moving forward in the direction, you've got to follow the program. What I've seen many times is clubs kind of get off of the path. They don't want to do manual speeches, but they do a lot of table topics because table topics is easy. We ask a question, we stand up, we speak for a couple of minutes. But preparing speeches is a little bit difficult because it actually takes some forethought, takes some planning. Many clubs or some clubs will get away from doing that. And what you find is those clubs that get away from the program are the ones that struggle for membership because new members come in with certain expectations. And those expectations are that, that they're going to be given the tools and be moved along the program to achieve their own personal goals and to uh, improve. If we don't follow the program, how do we know we've improved? And how do we know what the guidelines are? I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of the program. Every chance I go to a club that's not using the program, I take the opportunity to kind of take this analogy to them and say, if you want to be a Toastmasters club and not just a social gathering point, why do you need to follow the program? You know, I heard that same presentation too, Chuck, but how... How did you remember all that? <laughs> I I heard it too, and I'm going. You remembered every bit of that one. That's true. It was the photography. Because it's near to, it's it's near and dear to my heart. Because I believe I get, I'm an old baseball fan, right? And not well. I don't know how old I am, but I'm a baseball fan. And yet you have each year you have baseball players, major league base, baseball players, at the top of their game, making million dollars. They get millions of dollars. They get together in spring training, and what do they practice? They practice hitting, they practice throwing, they practice catching. And these are the fundamentals. And each year, they, they go back to these fundamentals. I'm a, I'm a believer that we, as Toastmasters, it's all laid out for us, and they're just fundamental skills, and we just need to follow the fundamentals, and we'll be successful. You know, the program is proven. I guess it's proven that it works. You ever, get, you ever find that you get bored with the same program? That wasn't a question don't. someone asked. That was just a question. I'm just throwing out there. Go ahead, Kevin. I'm monopolizing here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just, just going to say, for me, what I just did a few weeks ago is I sat down and I looked at all of the, the advanced manuals and I picked out speeches. I had an idea of the topics I wanted to cover. And I said, okay, this won't fit here, this won't fit here, this won't fit here. And so I was easily able to win with all of this, I think there's 17 or 18 different advanced manuals. I was easily able to pick the topics I wanted to speak on in a manner I wanted to speak on them. So I don't, there's really no reason why you wouldn't be doing manual speeches because it just, no matter what you're talking about, there's probably a project that you can use 
Now, the only thing that might be happening is people aren't aware of all the, the different manuals and the different projects within, within the manuals, but even the CCs, I've done four CC, or two CTMs and two CCs, and there's always something new you can be learning. And the manuals, especially going back to the basics like a CC, you can really focus in on just the, the core speaking aspects. You know, you go back to beginning, opening, or opening <laughs> body and conclusion and vocal variety and all those good things too. So it's, it's great to go through these manuals. And if you go through them once, you, you, you can go through them again, but there's just so, such, a, such a variety that you can just – I'm still going through them eight years later. Well, we, we had Lance Miller at the District 42 Fall Conference in Grand Prairie, and what is it, was it 19 times he's gone through it, Chuck? Yes, he's completed that CC manual 19 times. He tries to do, it, he tries to do that manual once each year. But he never gives a free speech. <laughs> <laughs> I want to add to that just a second. You know, we talk a lot in the meetings, uh, in the meeting framework about the speaking positions and those being the table topics, table topics master and the speaker. I was having a chat with Lance Miller, as you were just saying, at the, at the, the fall conference, and he brought something to my attention and, and that the functionary positions are equally important alongside them them being the opportunity for us to develop leadership skills anytime you have a speaking role in a meeting for example if you're offering a toast you need to you need to prepare and you need to present that toast in a manner that brings credit on yourself you know the the inspiration or even something as mundane as giving a duty report about the timing it's an opportunity to speak you should formulate opening body and conclusion your evaluations are also that same opportunity to give a, a good opening body and conclusion. And I think oftentimes we forget that every time we speak in a Toastmaster meeting, we need to give it our best. No, I was saying is I think we've all been guilty of showing up at a meeting because we've been so busy with our lives, showing up totally unprepared. And really, we're not really doing ourselves uh, a service, and we're really not doing the club a service at all. And I think that sometimes people feel that maybe they've been a Toastmaster for so long that the tasks become menial. But I try to look at every time of doing it as a challenge, especially being the counter and, and the grammarian, see how many times we can use the word of the day and how many times we can twist that word of the day so that you get the awe from the, from the rest of the audience. It looks like we've got about four minutes left. We've got a few other questions here. We seem to do all right. Oh, here's one. Okay, I'm sure a lot of clubs could probably relate to this. Now, we all know that a club that has 12 or fewer members qualifies for a club coach. But yet we seem to have clubs that, the question says here, we seem to do all right with 10 to 12 members. Do we need a coach? And our Lieutenant Governor of Marketing, Chuck, why don't you take a stab at that one? Well, the short answer would be, why wouldn't you accept the assistance of a coach? However, we get comfortable. We have a club that hangs around 10 to 12 members. We see the same familiar faces. Perhaps we bring in one or two new members a year. What happens is soon, before we know it, and it's a gradual slide, that 10 members becomes nine, becomes eight, and you're down between around five or six. Toastmaster says that a club with 20 members is optimum. And you know, I've been at the club that had six members. I've been at the club that has 10 members. I've been at the club with 20 members. And until 
you watch a club go from 12 to 20 members and you hit that 20 members and you, you generate a momentum, sometimes you don't, you don't see that need. Uh, you, you said earlier, Greg, that you know, the system is proven and that Toastmasters has uh, many years, 85 years worth of experience in doing this and everything they do, they do for a reason. We need to step out of our comfort zone. Sometimes we, we don't want to admit that there may be an issue or may be a problem in our club, and having somebody come in from the outside is uncomfortable for us. So as long as we feel we're okay, then we'll continue on. But once you have somebody come in, a fresh set of eyes and ears, who work with you and your area governor to help build the club, and you hit that 18, 19, 20-member mark, and the meetings take on a life on it, of their own, and they become dynamic and energetic. And, you know, I might, would much rather attend a meeting with 10 to 12 people in the room out of 20 or even 15 to 18 out of 20 than 6 out of 12 or 6 out of 10 because this, it can be a drudgery otherwise. Yeah, fair enough. So, I mean, I, mean that's, I think that's part of the reason why the program was set to have an ideal number of 20. Because this way, when all the roles are filled, and 20 gives, gives you a good opportunity to really spread the work around. We've got uh, two minutes left to go, gentlemen, and we, there's still a quite a few. There's still quite a number of questions, but there's one question here that I think I'd like to throw at Kevin. Well, we only have one minute, so you only got a one-minute table topic, Kevin. I can't and do the that. The question is: <laughs> the question is. How do you build a 20-minute speech when you're used to doing five- to seven-minute speeches? Oh, my goodness. So easy, Greg. So easy. The way to build a 20-minute speech, if you're used to doing five to seven, is do four speeches. What people often find, and you'll hear the best speakers tell you this, and I'm not one of the best speakers, but if you hear a best speaker, they'll tell you this, is to always do your speech in chunks. Because if you're doing, even, say, an hour presentation, how can you practice an hour presentation? You're going to do an hour over and over again? No, you, you break it into five to seven to ten-minute chunks. Usually about seven Kevin, to ten I, is the... Kevin, I hate to interrupt, but we're just going to... Is that time going down? Let's, anyway, let's, do, it, do it in four different <laughs> speeches and you'll be all set. You know what? I think let's keep, this question, let's keep this question for the next episode because I think a lot of people would be certainly interested in this question. Well, gentlemen, it's been a blast. I thank you both for, for helping out. We had a few people on the line. No one's chimed in from the outside, but hopefully maybe the next issue will we'll certainly get more people involved. But I'm glad that we gathered some of the questions that we had been asked previously. So I'd like to thank you both for tuning in to Toastcaster on Blog Talk Radio Live, and we'll see you again next month. This is Greg Gazin saying have a great night, and good night, gentlemen. Thanks, Greg. Okay. Thank you for tuning in for Toastcaster Podcast for Toastmasters and our first attempt at live radio on Blog Talk Radio Live. You can listen to the entire version unedited of this raw episode on blogtalkradio.com. Just type in Toastcaster and you can also subscribe to Toastcaster at Apple iTunes. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy your speaking. This is Greg Gazin saying good night.